state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around on the side. He's got a first down, 35-30. Wandale, 25-20, 15-10-5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Josh Hilkeman. Well, here we are on a Tuesday. At least half of us are here right now. Greg having a few technical difficulties, but he'll be joining us here in just a little bit. It's a fun Tuesday show. A lot of our normal segments, including Top 10 Tuesday coming up next hour. Uh, It'll be Top 10 Professional Sports Nicknames. So, of course, that in light of the Washington football team looking for a new nickname and then the... uh, obviously the MLR, the new NHL team up in Seattle. So there's a lot to talk about there. We'll get to that at 7.05. But coming up here in just a little bit later this hour, we'll have another edition of our position breakdowns as we'll have head co- or offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach Matt Lubick. So he'll break down that wide receivers group and a lot to break down there. So uh, we'll get to that. Greg had a chance to catch catch up with Coach Lubick, of course, in his first year as offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach for the Big Red. And then as we do on each night that we have our position breakdowns, we'll also get into the Big Ten West rankings of that position. So we'll go through the Big Ten West and what that position group looks like for each of the Big Ten West schools, including Nebraska. And, you know, it's I think that there's some teams that are really stand out and have some elite dynamic wide receivers. The Huskers a little bit less experienced of course jd spielman leaving in the off season and um that will be a position group that is a little bit inexperienced wandale robinson is back but there's a lot of of shoes to fill some omar manning coming in i think that that's going to be definitely something that will you know there's a lot of exciting players like omar manning that will be uh, possibly able to fill in in that position. But, of course, the Huskers looking a little bit inexperienced. So we'll have our Big Ten West rankings after position breakdowns this hour. And then next hour, as I mentioned, we have Top Ten Tuesday at 7.05. And then at 7.25, we'll also have our, another edition of our preseason Top 25. So uh, we have made it all the way down into team number 19. And so we'll have a, another edition of that. Tonight, we'll unveil that coming up in the next hour. So as we wait here for Greg to join us, I'm going to pull you on, Austin. And um, we have some, you know, some major news in Major League Baseball. We'll get to that in a little bit. But for right now, um, some news coming out of college football as well. News coming out that the NCAA is going to allow all major football teams to open their season on August 29th, which is the so-called week zero of college football normally or at least as was scheduled um a while back there would have been a few teams a handful of teams that would have been starting that weekend but uh college or the ncaa has allowed all college football teams to start that weekend if they so choose now there's been some differences of opinion and different differing approaches uh as we head into the college football season there's some teams and conferences that think that it's better to start early and try to get games in as quickly as possible some are trying to push back the season and think maybe it's better to start in late september and try to get things a little bit more organized uh interesting decision here but at least it allows some freedom allows teams and conferences to do a little bit more of what they want to do what are your thoughts on on that yeah interesting decision you're right from the ncaa i think i like it though i really do and now I think it gives them a lot of freedom and a lot more flexibility. Those are two words you mentioned I think are key. So right now, Nebraska is slated to start September 5th, so regular week one against Purdue. And I could see the Big Ten doing one of really three things. Either they keep it the same and they you know, slap the extra conference game in where a non-conference game would have gone. For Nebraska, that would be weeks two, three, and four since they were going to open the season with a conference game. So they could put that 10th conference game in one of those three non-conference slots. They could move up the week one games, the first big 10 games for each of these teams from the fifth to the ninth. Or what I think makes the most sense, Josh, is that that's where they put their 10th conference game. You know, the whole grind of a season, you can get it started a week earlier. Everyone's free that date. Just 
it's just a matter of figuring out the matchup, who's going to play where, what does that mean for travel. So yeah, it wouldn't be nearly as long for a camp, but I think getting started week zero would be more flexibility for the teams. They get another game in. Heaven forbid things get worse with the coronavirus later in the season. It's a way to squeeze another game in. Everyone's free that week. I think it's a good call by the NCAA, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Big Ten put its 10th conference game there in week one. Yeah, we're still waiting for the Big Ten and the Pac-12, for that matter, to come out with what their schedules are going to be adjusted to conference only. And, you know, the couple teams in the Big 12, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, I believe, have uh, adjusted their their non-conference um, up a week so that they start a week early, which is now allowed, of course, by the NCAA. So I think that you're right. There's, I'll, I'll, I think that it goes back to the flexibility issue. Like I, I don't think that really. It, it, I, I'm glad that the NCAA isn't making every team start on August 29th or that weekend. They're just saying, okay, if you think that that's what's the best route to go, then go for it. I think that's a good thing. And, you know, maybe the Pac-12 has talked about pushing um, the start of their season back into later September. And I think that might make sense for them because they're warmer weather schools. As it gets colder, I think that a lot of people uh, believe that the coronavirus will start to make a have a second wave. And, of course, we don't know what's going to happen, but that's the belief. And so I think that a lot of schools have decided to try to get their semesters done by Thanksgiving, including Nebraska. And so, you know, there's kind of almost a push to get things going. And then that, of course, allows you more flexibility just in case you have to move the schedule around some too. So right. I, it'll, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on for sure. For sure. And, you know, the, most teams are done by Thanksgiving, Black Friday, or that, that Saturday is usually week 12 for most teams. There's the Ar- Army-Navy game later. But, you know, this could really liven up week zero. There were a handful of Pac-12 teams that were going to play. Cal was going to go to UNLV. Arizona was going to host Hawaii. And UCLA was going to host New Mexico State. There's really not a headlining game there. Probably the best of that bunch was the Cal-UNLV game or the Hawaii-Arizona game. Now with week zero, I mean, you can get your football watching started a week early. I think that's great for fans. You know, Christmas is coming early or it could come early. I think, in a sense, and I'm with you. If you if there's any way you can get football done by Thanksgiving, I think that's best, especially with the push to get the academic semesters done by Thanksgiving. I think if you're going to go for one, you've got to go for the other for you know some logical verisimilitude. So I, I kind of like that move, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more teams push for that. Yep, no doubt. So that's one thing, and as I mentioned, we're also going to talk a little bit of Major League Baseball here as they started up their season last week, a few games on Thursday, and then a full slate on Friday. And, of course, over the weekend, and as we got to yesterday through the weekend, the Miami Marlins have been in the news as more players and more players and some coaches have tested positive, which at first it was just a cancellation of last night's game, and then it was tonight's game, and then uh, now they have the Miami schedule is all the way through Sunday been canceled, which is – obviously that in and of itself is tough but that's just one team but it's also the team that they were going to play and so now they're trying to shuffle the schedule around for some of those teams that were supposed to play Miami and the team that also played Miami over the weekend the Philadelphia Phillies they are trying to you know they're being a little bit more cautious with their what was supposed to be their series against the Yankees and so there's just a lot of domino effects here Austin and one of the things that just came out a little while ago is now the Yankees are going to play Baltimore in or yeah they're going to play Baltimore in Baltimore on Wednesday and Thursday and then they're going to uh head back to Yankee Stadium and play the Red Sox. So there's just some shuffling of schedules, and I I think that MLB is trying to be cautious with what they're doing, but it's just really hard. It's almost worst-case scenario here for Major League Baseball with what's been happening with the Marlins. Oh, on so many fronts. It's best case for the Yankees. I mean, they don't play the (laughs) Phillies. They get the Orioles instead, so that should be another couple wins for them. And I'm interested to see how baseball handles – the rescheduling. Neither you or I were around for when uh, whatever happened in 1981 with the the strike and teams were in the playoff based on winning percentage. They didn't all play the same number of games after after the All Star break. So it'll be interesting to see. I think of you know that Phillies, Orioles, Nationals, Troika. I think the Nats probably have the best shot at the postseason, and those games will probably end up looming the largest for them. And the Marlins too, I suppose, but they're not 
expected to be a playoff contender. So I think if Washington loses a game or two against the Marlins and they miss out on the playoffs by a game or two and they don't get rescheduled, Washington's not going to be happy about that. You know, they're probably planning on banking a couple of those wins against those teams. So there's that aspect of it. One positive, though, is, yes, the Marlins have done not a great job. You know, 17 positive tests here. But there's good news for the rest of baseball. 6,400 tests since Friday, not a single positive. Now, obviously, it could still spread and only waiting, you know, a week until Sunday, not the two weeks of quarantine like has been directed. You know, that seems a little bit rushed, but baseball does seem to be on, you know, a bit of a timeline. It wants to be done when it's done. It doesn't want to have to push it back another week, have to reschedule more games. So, yeah, it's not great for Miami. It's not great for for Washington, for Philadelphia, for New York and those teams. But as a whole, I think Major League Baseball has done just fine. The other 29 teams, I think, are doing just fine. Yeah, it's something that is going to be interesting to follow. There were people yesterday when the news was coming out first about Miami and more and more positive tests for the Marlins that, you know, if the it became a, a situation where there was a competitive imbalance due to players testing positive, then the commissioner held the right to be able to, you know, basically just cancel the season and people were saying that that was you know written into the agreement uh, you know that they came to a month ago or so uh, to be able to play major league baseball again this season and i i think that while there's you know obviously some truth to that and what you were talking about with the schedule and you know the yankees and the phillies and all the teams that are affected by this um, directly affected it, it probably does create somewhat of a competitive imbalance but i think that most of the teams just the players just want to play and you know i i think that they're willing to deal with at least a little bit of that imbalance at least for a while i i feel like if you know four or five different teams have a big outbreak like this all at once and then you know like if they all if they all have an outbreak at once and then that affects you know five or six other teams that they're playing and are scheduled to be playing over the next few series then that's obviously a whole different situation. But right now, it's one team that has had an outbreak, and I think that it at least can be somewhat controlled for the time being. Oh, absolutely, and it has, I think, pretty well with the, the zero tests out of the 6,400. And to your point on the players want to play, that's what got us in this whole situation in the first place. That's what caused a lot of this hand-wringing was a group text conversation between the Marlins asking if they wanted to play. It was a you know, group text between the members of the team they knew that there was someone with a positive test or they knew they could have been exposed. And in their group text, they were talking with each other. Do we want to play? Do we want to go forward with this? What do we want to do? They decided to play. And then a couple days later, it comes out that they had all these positive tests and it could have spread. So, yeah, I, I really think the players do want to play. And, you know, there's always going to be some competitive imbalance. There, there are better teams. There are worse teams. It, it's not exactly cyclical, but... You know, it goes in stages. Some divisions are just better than others. That's what it is. And there's always going to be a little bit more of that based on the true geographic schedule Major League Baseball put together for these teams. But totally there's competitive imbalance and totally the players want to play. Yep. All right. So that's what we have. That's what we're talking about tonight. The, you know, those two topics that we talked about with college football and Major League Baseball are related because as Greg and Ben and all of us have said on the show over the past few weeks, Major League Baseball is kind of the testing ground for college football in some ways because neither of them are going to have a true bubble like the NBA or the NHL or MLS. They, they're doing it with travel, and they're trying to take precautions, and so they're, they're trying to you know, do it in a certain way. And if Major League Baseball comes to a screeching halt, then I don't think college football has a whole lot of hope for going forward at least doing it the exact same way as baseball. So I, it, it's something to look at and something to keep an eye on over uh, the next couple of days and weeks as we hopefully approach closer to a college football season. Tonight on Sports Nightly, it's the Husker football position breakdowns. Back to throw is Vedro, floats a pass downfield. Cade Warner makes it over the shoulder catch out near the midfield stripe. Cade Warner with a terrific grab. Tonight, Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught, one deal, first down, hits on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, Juan Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. 
wide receivers coach, Matt Lubick. And here to talk about the Husker wide receivers, Husker offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach, Matt Lubick. Let's just start with you. I mean, you, you take a new position, and then the world gets turned upside down. How, how bizarre has the last six, seven months been for you? Yeah, well, it's been crazy, it just, as I'm sure it has been for everybody else. You know, uh, the transition was going great. Take, taking the job, you know, knowing Scott, and then uh, getting to know the staff who've been who, who welcomed me with open arms and and I felt really good about spring ball you know we got three good practices in some walkthroughs and I, I loved where we were going and then all of a sudden this hit you know and we had a complete shutdown and um you know, you know shut down the university for a significant amount of time and and uh but the, you know the one thing that was good football wise is that in a positive it, it gave you time to to look and study and, and regroup and gather your thoughts because my first guy here was kind of just a whirlwind just trying to get my feet on the ground and and so I, I feel a lot better you know where we're going as an offense um, and studying other teams as well and also recruiting you know it gave us a lot of time to really hone in and, and talk to recruits because we did have some definite free time. Coach you have inherited a position that lacks much experience how big a challenge is this going to be for you? Uh, you know, I'm excited about it, to be honest with you. I, the kids that I've been working with, you know, we spent a ton of time on Zoom, have been awesome. Uh, the older guys have been kind of helping out the younger guys. I'm really excited about their attitude, and I think we have talent. You know, I haven't seen, I saw these guys in practice for three days, um, and so I was just getting a feel to get to know them, but I love what I saw. Um, I also know that we have some good players coming in that are going to add to the room and are going to provide some competition and give us some depth. Um, you know, the, the thing about experience is it is what it is. You control what you can control, and, and there's nothing there's nothing better than having live reps. Um, and, and we'll get that as we go. You mentioned the, the word exciting. That that certainly is a word Husker fans would equate with Wandale Robinson. He had a tremendous freshman season what what did you see as you reviewed video of of Wandale's freshman year and what has he been like for you to be around the last six seven months sure well as a freshman what amazed me is for him to come in and play two positions that's very rare is it's hard enough to play one position but to play tailback and uh and also receiver is it's it's pretty much unheard of um the one thing we do do in our system is we we cross train guys so especially a guy like him is even though you're you're sitting, you know, I'm in the receiver room, you're still learning things about tailback and, and we can move guys around. Uh, but his football intelligence uh, blows me away, you know, just talking to him and how easy he picks things up um, and just how natural things are to him too, just how, you know, he's one of those guys that he, he can learn on video and you tell him one thing and, and he can go out there and do it with not a lot of reps. Um, and then since I've been here, his leadership ability, you know, he's just a freshman, but we're not treating him like a freshman. We're treating him like an experienced guy coming back to to, to be a leader by example. But he, he's taken that a step further and really reached out to the younger guys and kind of driven our group um, and making them better by the way he works and, and being vocal about it. And uh, he's embraced that, and that's that's going to be huge for, uh, for a whole offense. I want to ask you next about Cade Warner, who we've seen sporadically the last couple of years. He, was, he battled injuries last fall, and I think that was really hurtful to Nebraska's offense, not having Cade out there. What, what have you learned about Cade in your short time at Nebraska? Uh, he's amazing, and, and he's, he's, he's very similar to Wondell. You know, he's, uh, I've been doing this for 25 years. I don't think I've been around a more mature person um, than Kate Warner. And when I say by that, I mean, he's like talking to your uh, coach. I think he's more mature than me. I mean, just talking to him and just how he has such a good feel about the group. Um, and, and he's, he's wise beyond his years. And so he's, he's a lot like Juan Bell where, you know, I, I, I asked him for feedback. How'd you guys do this last year? And, and, and he helps me coach guys. Not only does he, is he a good football player, but you know, the, the one thing about this off season is there's limited things that coaches can do based on NCAA rules as far as working with the players, um, so we really got to rely on, you know, our leaders to, to really work with the players. And, and the whole thing for me is to get them to know our vision and what we expect, and then they got to carry it out. And he's done that better than anyone I've been around. Uh, it, it's amazing. And Wondell's in that same boat. You know, Kay's been around the system a little longer than Wondell, but um, I know the whole team looks up to him. Uh, I look up to him. And, uh, I, yeah, I know last year he, he uh, showed a lot of toughness playing through a, 
a bad ankle, and I, I think people didn't know really how bad it was. It was pretty darn bad, and he showed a lot of toughness playing through it, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do on the field for us. He's already done a ton of things off the field for us that hopefully will will show this season, but, uh, yeah, he's special. I want to get your thoughts next on Chris Hickman. A year ago at this time, he was in the tight end room with Coach Becton. Then the lack of bodies, he transitioned out to wide receiver. Now you guys have him listed as a wide receiver. Your thoughts about Chris making that transition to the wide receiver room? Yeah, well, we love his toughness. You know, I, I saw him on cutups, and he didn't get a ton of reps, but when he did, he he, uh, he took advantage of them and showed a lot of toughness, a lot of physicality. You know, he's a great um, – He's a big body guy that has great range, um, uh, good athlete, uh, great frame. And, again, it's an easy move from him from tight end to receiver because we kind of cross-train cross those guys. I mean, so the R is what he plays, and it's also what Wandell plays. But there's sometimes where, you know, we, we can ask him to do things that a tight end does uh, that he already knows, but also split it out and play wide out. And... Um, he was learning that even when he was with Coach Beckton. And so it's made the transition easier for him. He's just doing things a little bit more flexed out. But he's still capable of, of being attached and, and doing all the things we ask of a tight end. And that's what, uh, you know, what we love having that in our offense. Just It makes us more versatile for, team, for like, defender. people try to defend him. They don't know if he's going to, you know, if we're running his way or if he's going to split out and how, how are you going to match up with that guy. Again, we're visiting with Husker wide receiver coach, offensive coordinator Matt Lubick here on Sports Night as we break down the wide receiver room. A couple of young guys who've not really gotten on the field much yet in their young Husker career are Demarion Houston and Jamie Nance. What what did you observe of them in your short time with them in the spring? Yeah, they both. Well, first of all, they're both eager to learn. Um, they both want to get on the field, which is the first thing. I mean, as a coach, I mean. You, you do your best to motivate guys, but if they're not motivated to get on the field and want to work hard, and it's, it's an uphill battle. So they've solved that one. Um, you know, they need reps. They both have tremendous speed, which we need on the field. Um, I think they're getting more comfortable and more confident, and that comes with, with reps. And uh, they did some really good things uh, each each day in those in those three practices we have. It's like, hey, this guy can really do something, or this guy can do something. Um, I know they put in – they're putting a ton of time in the summer like everyone else is and putting themselves in position so they can help us this fall. And uh, I'm excited to see what they're going to do once fall camp gets rolling around. Coach, speaking of speed, when I talk to some of the players, one of the first names that comes up is Elante Brown, who I know you had a chance to see a little bit in the spring. He true freshman but got here for the second semester. You have to be excited about this guy from Chicago. I am, you know, and, and – I'm treating him like a, a returning guy just because he was here for those those spring practices. Um, he's similar to Wandell in that he's a very fast learner. You know, he was a high school quarterback, but I've been amazed just how natural he picks up some of the things uh, from a skill standpoint at wideout, and, and he moves like a wideout. Uh, yeah, you can make an argument he might be our fastest guy. I've never put any of those guys on a clock, but he can run. And he he broke away a few times in spring. You're like, wow, this guy's a big it's a playmaker. And so, yeah, he, he impressed everyone this in that short amount of time. And he's another guy that has done a great job, you know, in the off season this summer um, of trying to learn the offense and putting himself in a position where he can make a significant contribution for us. Before you arrived, Coach, uh, the staff knew that they needed to, to get some numbers up in that room. And so the, the recruiting class was heavy for wide receivers and Xavier Betts and Omar Manning and Marcus Fleming and Will Nixon. you got to be excited to get out on that practice field and see what these guys can do for you. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, all, great. Um, they're all great kids, first off. And second, all you, know, you look at their high school tape and you can tell how talented they are. And then I'm excited to work with them. You know, we've... We, again, at the end of the day, we're, we're so limited on what we can do. I mean, they're here on campus, and our older kids, who I could not be more proud of, have kind of taken them under their wing and showing them the ropes and starting to teach them the offense. Um, but, yeah, they, you know, it's it's hard to really give a good evaluation until you actually see those guys on the field moving around and doing things. But, uh, like you said, we could not be more excited about having uh, that many playmakers in one class um, have an opportunity to help us. 
Omar played some junior college football, so he's he's a few years out of high school. What's been your experience in the past with junior college players? Does it take a bit of transition to make that jump to D1 football? What What's it been like in your past? It's, it's really hit and miss. You know, I've been fortunate. I've been around guys like uh, Chad Johnson, TJ Huzmanzada, you know, and, and those guys, you know, were both – Pro Bowl guys, and uh, they came in. They're still learning curve. It's, it's you can't assume they just know your offense. Um, you know, sometimes they're a little bit more mature, and they, they know what college balls are like, and, they, and and work, and they played at a little higher level. But at the end of the day, they're still you know a clean slate like a freshman, and that you got to teach them their offense. Um, so sometimes just physically, they're a little more developed. But it's really hit and miss. It, it, it's tough to say. Uh, you know, not, and you see guys like Wandell, who, you know, he's a guy fresh out of high school and comes in, you know, one of the better freshmen in the country. So whether it's a JC guy or whether it's a high school guy, it's really an individual case on how fast they can learn it and, and confidence. And then, you know, getting those guys' confidence is getting them reps um, and getting them some success because that's the other thing. It's not always the most talented guy that plays the fastest. I tell these guys that all the time. It's the guy that can learn it you know, and, and have confidence and go out there. And, and you have to do a little extra on your own, really, to, to catch up and get up to speed with with everybody else. Coach, I always like to kind of finish these up by by mentioning the walk-ons. It's been such a big part of the history of Nebraska football. And I know Cade is currently a walk-on in the program for you. But just the time you've been around this group and the couple practices you had in the spring or just what you're hearing from the weight room, any any walk-ons that we need to keep an eye out for here in the 2020 season? Well, first off, we got a ton of them, you know, and it's awesome. It's 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 amazing because, you know, the way we practice, we're such a high rep practice where if, if you don't have depth, it can really um, it'll run you down, and and, you, and you'll lose guys because of it, especially to be super position because they run so much that when guys start going down, it puts that much stress on another guy, and uh, next thing you know, guys are pulling muscles left and right, and that's been something we've always uh, been cautious of and try to the battle with with the, with the system that we run up tempo and high reps um you know i know we've we got a lot of guys here right now Kate's a great example he's not just a leader of the walk-ons he's a leader of our one of our leaders of our football team but um you know you you here, here's the best thing i'd say you, you i don't know who's a walk-on i kind of do now but when i first got here right you didn't know i mean and 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 the, the, the walk-ons that were out there and i know we've, we've had some new ones that we're really excited about um i mean that, that you can't tell, you know, because I was, I would, when I say tell, sometimes you can say there's a huge difference in discrepancy between the athletes of a you know, guy in scholarship and a walk-on. I was out there in off-season workouts just trying to learn names, <laughs> and I'm like, who's this guy? The coach, I got that guy's money on scholarship. I go, are you kidding me? And uh, we we didn't have guys like that anywhere else I've been. So, you know, it's it's a really credit. I know it's a tradition thing here, but uh, to uh, I know Kenny Wilhite, uh, Coach Frost has emphasized it. Um, but the, the, these walk-ons not all, are, are going to play for us um, this year for sure. Um, and uh, I mean, there's shoot, we've got I think we got 11 of them, you know. And uh, without going down the list, I, every one of these guys is a good football player and can help us. And that that's the thing. I mean, we can you can put a guy out there and he can do a rep, and there's not a huge drop off, you know. And, so, and I do think there will be some guys that'll surprise some guys that'll that eventually will be on scholarship. Well, Coach, we appreciate the time. It's going to be fascinating to watch your group and as they progress through the fall camp and hopefully into some games here in this fall. And, and I know you can't wait to get out there with them. Keep them healthy, and, and let's hope for some football here in a few months. I'm with you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top Ten Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Well, we thought with um, the Washington football team having trouble coming up with a nickname, we thought we would dive into the best nicknames in professional sports. Look at the big four, the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and uh, the NFL and Major League Baseball, NBA, and NHL. What do you think of this one, Austin? We, we kicked this one around a little bit last night on the air. That we did. It's you know I think it should be a fun one. It's it, it'll be a matter of taste I think for all of us. I'm interested to see what our criteria are for choosing what we think makes a top team name, and I'm curious to see what the Washington football team decides is, uh, <laughs> is their criteria down the road. 
What kind of criteria did you use? Oh man, uh, multiple and varied. So it had to have a little bit of a novelty factor to it. Uh, it's got to be unique. So I'm not going to see any, you know, lions tigers, and tigers hawks, and bears. Lions, exactly. Yeah. Um, it has to be, you know, it has to mean something to the community to an extent. Uh, I think that was something. And also I'm a bit of a history buff. So if there's a little bit of history behind it, that's something that I really enjoyed as well. Josh, you were not part of the planning of this. Was this one tough <laughs> or was this one okay? I, I thought it was okay. Like literally all I did was I pulled up the standings for each of those four major sports as <laughs> you talked about, went through them and picked out the top 10 that I liked. It was actually pretty easy. And I, I actually had pretty similar criteria to Austin. It was didn't really pick any animals. I think I have one animal on my list and for the most part, it was just unique and what I thought sounded cool. So that's what I went with. All right, we'll let you bat third. Austin, you can lead off since you were part of the discussion last night. Why don't you lead us off? All righty. So I'm interested to see where this one ranks on your guys' list. But I have the Seattle Kraken here at number 10, the NHL's newest team. There was a lot of buzz around it when it came out uh, late last week. I'm still not sold on it. I think it sounds a little gimmicky. No offense to the uh, SNBL's Hong Kong Kraken. <laughs> but, you know, it gets a spot because of the novelty. It's sea-related, as all of the Seattle uh, teams are for the most part. So it's, it's unique. It's novel. It means something to that area after, you know, after a sense. I'm just not entirely sold on it, but I think that novelty factor is enough to push the crack into my number 10 spot. All right, very good. My number 10, Josh will like this one. I got the Minnesota Twins. I think that's a perfect name for the Twin Cities. It fits in the region really well. Love their logo. So the Twins make it on my list at number 10. See, I figured that I would get a little bit of a, a, a homer call out if I did that. So I, I decided to leave the Twins off my list. But uh, my number 10, I have the, uh, the Ducks, the Anaheim Ducks. And at one point, they were the Mighty Ducks. And, I've, and they had the, you know, the movie and all of that. I feel like that's almost more nostalgic for me as, as the movies. And so they're actually, the Ducks are the only animal i'll probably have to double check this but yeah i I think they're the only animal mascot that's on on my team or on my top 10 so ducks are my number 10 okay all right number nine for me i stick in hockey but i go uh just west here of our state's borders i go to colorado here and the avalanche so colorado sports teams they have the rockies they have the nuggets i think the avalanche is clearly a superior team name you know, it just it implies power. It implies inevitability. There's nothing you can do to stop it when it starts. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's just a perfect team name, intimidating enough, regional enough. I think it's great. Very good. Uh, I like that one a lot. Um, you may see that a little bit later on. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same market, but I'm going the Nuggets for my number nine, the Denver Nuggets. I think it, it fits the Rocky Mountain part of this thing. Uh, so I, I go with the Nuggets from the NBA. So I go an MLB in, at 10 with the Twins, and I go NBA with the Nuggets at 9. I like it. I uh, I don't have either of those on, but the Avalanche, were they just barely missed out on my list. You'll see a theme with mine. I have a lot of weather-related, like, natural occurrences in my in my top ten, including my number nine, which is the Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers, formerly San Diego Chargers. But, well, I like their name. Like, it sounds cool, but it's also, you know, their their logo I always thought was, was pretty neat. Unfortunately, they're one of the rivals of Kansas City, so I can't cheer for them too much, but <laughs> I have to admit that I, I don't mind their, their mascot and their nickname. All so. right. All right, number nine for me. Eight. Number eight. Sorry, we already did nine. I, I run a double <laughs> up. I just can't help it. But now, all right, on to number eight. Thank you. I've got the Dodgers here, the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is one of some history. It dates back to the people in Brooklyn dodging traffic on their way to Ebbets Field. I love that history behind it. It's not something you could replicate today. One of the newer franchises, one of the expansion teams, couldn't have pulled off a name like the Dodgers. And there was a chance the Dodgers could have updated to the Froggers in the 80s if they wanted to stay with the times. But in the long run, I think it's probably best they kept the name they had. Was it because of something about rail cars or something that they got their initial name? Isn't that right? Right. Cable car or something like that. All right, my number eight, I'm I'm in the New York market for my number eight, and I'm going hockey. I'm going the New York Islanders 
I mean, basically, you know, they play out on Long Island, so their name really fits their franchise really well. And that was part of my criteria is try to find franchises that fit their communities well. So that's why you're not going to – the Lakers aren't on my list because the Lakers don't fit. They did in Minneapolis <laughs> when they were there. They don't fit in L.A. They don't well, the fit New York all. Islanders make my list today. I was going to say, if we had to do worst nicknames, <laughs> Lakers would probably be at, toward the top of that because it just doesn't make sense at all. My, uh, my number eight, I have the, uh, the Angels here, the Los Angeles, uh, formerly the Anaheim Angels, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, the California Angels, whatever one you want to look at. But they, uh, I, for some reason, they, I always thought that that was kind of a, a cool nickname, of course, named after the city of Angels, Los Angeles, so it makes sense. But, I, you know, it's, it, it seems a little bit basic, but I always thought that it seemed like a, a pretty cool name. And, um, yeah, I have the Angel at number eight. The city of Angels. Perfect. Very apt. Number seven for me. We are on number seven. We just did eight. Yeah, I yeah can, you're right. I can count. You're on target now, Austin. <laughs> we're good. We're, we're on point. All right, number seven for me, speaking of being on point, I've got the Bucks. I You know, this was a little bit of a, a dark horse for me. It doesn't hmm. seem like that, but here's my reasoning. It's hard to make deer intimidating. Like, it really <laughs> is. When you think of deer, you think of Bambi. But somehow Milwaukee has made the Buck a really cool logo, a really cool team name to me. And I mean, it helps that the leader of that herd, such as it is, is seven foot tall, 260 pounds. But, (laughs) you know, you get the imagery of the herd implying the teamwork. Antlers are super underrated as deadly animal appendages. It's one syllable, rolls off the tongue, crisp, clean. I'm I'm a Bucks fan. I like it as a team name. Well, I'm staying in that same market, but I'm going to go the Brewers with my number seven, the Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee had a, is the home of Miller Beer, so the Brewers, the guys who go make the beer, you know, they got the Billy Brewer comes down that slide into the mug of beer, supposedly. It's not, I don't think it is. I think it's probably water, but uh, at, the, at the ballpark at Miller Park. So the Brewers make my list at number seven. All right, my number seven. I have the Flyers. I'm going hockey here, the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. And this is almost a little bit too generic for me. I try to keep generic ones like this off the list, but it's also unique because there's no other team that I know of that's named the Flyers. Um, so I, I like the way that it rolls off the tongue with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, but, I, yeah, there's not, not really too much rhyme or reason why I, I like that one. It just It's always been one of my favorite team names, at least in the, in the sport of hockey. So it, it made my list at number seven. Cool. All right, rounding out the back half of my list at number six here, I've got the Rockets. You know, again, with kind of the history being in Houston with the manned space flight control center there, so it means something to the area. And I think we just forget how cool Rockets are. Like, we're sending people hundreds <laughs> of thousands of miles up, and isn't that great imagery for a team? You know, you just keep climbing, keep going higher, you know, until you reach that championship. So there's some cool imagery there. There's some history there. It's, it's a solid team name. So that's my number six. Very good. All right. My number six, you had the Kraken earlier. I'm going to Seattle, but I'm, I'm not doing the Kraken. I'm going the Mariners. And again, a city that sits on, you know, the, the bay and the ocean, Mariners or sailors, that type of thing. It fits pretty well. So I've got the Mariners at number six. And see, I was going to say, if we had been able to do all-time team names, I probably would have gone with the Supersonics as number oh, one Seattle. Yeah. So that, I don't have any Seattle teams on my list, but I, if, I definitely would have had them on there if we had gone that way. Now, Ben's going to like my number six. I have the Tampa Bay Lightning as, as six. It's another, you know, kind of, it's very, very similar to the Chargers, actually. It's the, you know, different version of that, but... Um, I, I I think that that's a, an apt name, and it, it's a good name, I think, for hockey specifically. I feel like you could probably put it in any sport, but for some reason, like skating seems like, you know, lightning and all that. I don't know. I feel like it fits pretty well in hockey, so I have lightning at number six. All right, moving on to the top half of our list here at number five. This one's probably the most basic of them on my list. I'm a little biased here. Uh, saying as this is my high school mascot as well, but I've got the Warriors here. You know, it just sounds so cool. It sounds, you know, powerful. But it's hardworking, yet there's some esteem in that name as well. I, it's simple enough to not be too, you know, extra, too over the top, but it still holds some mystique because I, people have different ideas of what a warrior is. It, I don't know. I, there's just something about Warriors as a team name that I really like. You just like their team. 
I I do like <laughs> how they play. I, yeah. I will not will not lie. All right, my five's also NBA. The 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, with all the history that that town has, uh, the birth of the country in 1776. I love that patriotic type theme, red, white, and blue uniforms. It's got it all. Philadelphia 76ers in at five for me. And see, I almost line up with you, Greg. It's not. It's very similar. I have the 49ers mm. of San Francisco as my number five. Similar because it's based on history and, you know, the people that – the gold miners that trekked out to San Francisco or the Bay Area to look for gold um, in 1849. So, I, 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 as Austin said at the very start of this segment, I love – team names that have some sort of history behind them and that's definitely one of them have no you know affinity to the 49ers but love the team name so 49ers my number five chiefs beat me in the super bowl it's okay <laughs> yeah see it's it's fine i'm good all right number four for me has been mentioned it's similar to josh's nine in his actual number six i've got the lightning here the tampa bay lightning of the nhl at my number four it implies this nice mix of speed and power that i think you're really looking for in a hockey player i think it works perfectly as a hockey name as josh attested to okay my number four austin you had at nine here's where i have the avalanche i just think it's a perfect nickname for Denver, for right at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. And like you said, once an avalanche gets going, it's hard to stop. Just a lot to like about that. So I like it even more than you did. I've got them up at number four. Very good. My number four, I have the the thunder here. It's the other part of the lightning. I feel like it's a little bit more powerful. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's another weather-related nickname. And Oklahoma City is a relatively new franchise coming over from Seattle, the Supersonics, which – Supersonics, I probably would have put a little higher than the Thunder, but I still think the Thunder is a cool nickname, and I let, you know it's a it's a newer newer name and kind of fits with a, a newer team. So I thought they did a very good job of of naming that uh, new team. All right, my bronze medalist is the Mavericks, specifically the Dallas Mavericks. You think about all the potential horse equestrian mascots. You get Broncos, Colts, Stallions, Mustangs. None of those are nearly as cool or macho as Mavericks. You know, maybe I'm just letting my affinity for Top Gun show here, but I really like Mavericks. You know, it sounds wild. It sounds intimidating, but, you know, you can also be family friendly with it. So I've got the Mavericks here at my number three. Okay, very good. My number three was Josh's five. Here's where I've got the 49ers, and Josh laid that out perfectly. I mean, the gold rush to the California coast. San Francisco picks up the name. Doesn't hurt that they've been successful as a franchise as well, even though they didn't win this past Super Bowl. They won a, a bunch of them. So I've got the San Francisco 49ers at number three. And see, Greg, I flip-flop with you. I have the 76ers <laughs> at number three. So we, And see, it's to me, it's just like a matter of, I, I feel like the, the poor part of history that I like better, I'm, I would probably prefer the revolutionary period over the 1800s and so i just you know I, I like that period of history a little bit more so i have the 76ers at number three but again we're, we're kind of in in lockstep here just a little bit flip-flopped all right number two for me would probably play a little bit better if ben were here but i think you, you guys can still appreciate it uh aaron hannon from the office would call my number two team the sabres but i've got the buffalo sabres here Ooh. at number two you know you're literally calling yourself a sword it's you know quick slicing deep cutting it's versatile it just sounds so pompous and royal it I, there's <laughs> nothing like it in the rest of sports so sabres the buffalo sabres my number two very good and nice way to work the office reference in there as well <laughs> My number two, I'm going to the NFL. I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Great organization, the Steel City, the Steel Workers in that part of the country. It fits that moniker that they want to be a tough, rough football team. Perfect. In sync with all that, the Pittsburgh Steelers, my number two. Yeah, and I feel like that uh, – I my number two actually kind of goes along in some ways with you guys. You have the, the Sabres, which is kind of a sword, and the Steelers, you know, is – what they're made out of and then i have the knights as my number two the las vegas knights again a newer team nickname but i you know i think that they hit that out of the ballpark when they they named their team the knights i know that it's not super original but it i feel like it's it's perfect with with las vegas too it, obviously they probably could have gone with what ben named his team the las vegas outlaws and snbl but i uh yeah the knights are, are pretty good i have them at number two 
All right. Here we go. My gold medalist, number one for me. I go back to the NBA. I go to Portland. I have the Trailblazers here at number one. It's a two-word name, which is cool. There's not a whole lot of those that play very well. You know, it implies you're the first to do something. You can go by the Blazers. That implies fire and tough menacing in its own right. Again, that historical component I find cool with the Oregon Trail that led up there. And the way the Blazers have branded themselves I think is fantastic. They've done a great job with the nickname. It's my number one. My number one, I think, is the most iconic nickname in all of sports, the Yankees. The New York Yankees. You can be anywhere in the world, mention the Yankees, and most people will have an idea what it is. It fits the northern part of the United States, particularly the Northeast, really well. And the success of that organization for the last hundred years is hard to argue against. So the New York Yankees, my number one. I definitely agree they're iconic, but they're not going to make my list list anytime soon. I do go with baseball, though, and a team that was pretty close to them at one point. The Dodgers, Austin had them at number eight. I just... I, I love how you can, uh, and obviously it doesn't make as much sense in Los Angeles, but as Austin laid out the, the Dodgers, you know, they were the trolley Dodgers, how you can wrap it up in the fan base of a team. Like they can feel like they're a part of the team um, is pretty cool. So I, I thought that that was I, growing up when I, when I learned what the, that's, that's why they were named that I, I always thought that was pretty cool. So I have the Dodgers at, at number one for me. Very good. All right. Um, let's let's Twitter pull this, Austin. Let's put our three choices up there, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Trailblazers, and then it, leave another category for people if they want to jump in there and do that. It's the Sports Nightly preseason top 25 tonight. Sanders gets a ball, throws a screen out to the left. It's caught by Wallace. Has a first down, breaks a tackle, and Wallace on the loose down the left sideline to the Iowa State 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10. Number 19, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And here to talk about the pokes with us, Scott Wright from the Oklahomans. Scott, thank you so much. We we might have liked Oklahoma State even more than putting them at 19, but the turmoil in the offseason concerned us a little bit. Have things calmed down? What is what is the latest around the program? <laughs> yeah, they uh, they felt a lot different in January than in July, don't they? Yeah. Um, uh, it's hard to say. Exactly. I mean, things have definitely calmed down, that's for sure. Um, but at the same time, Mike Dundee hasn't been in front of the media. The players haven't been in front of the media to discuss these things. And so, um, you know, it's it's calmed down in, uh, in terms of the, uh, the outward expressions of frustration and uh, the apology videos and all those things that uh, – uh, that were going on in late June, but um, you know, as to whether the program is moving in the right direction, the, the direction the players were hoping it would would by by speaking out the way that they did, that's yet to be seen. So, um, you know that uh, that that connection uh, with their coach and and the uh, reformation of the team chemistry that they need so badly this year, uh, that's yet to be seen. We'll see what uh, what players have to. Uh, have to say if uh, assuming that media days goes uh, goes down as as expected on August 2nd we'll uh, we'll get a little bit more insight into uh, into what exactly it is that uh, uh, these players are, are feeling about this program right now besides the 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 OAN t-shirt and all that how, how have they handled covid have they been very forthright in testing uh, Oklahoma certainly has has Oklahoma state been as as, as forthright with what the, what's going on with their testing they haven't been uh, quite as uh, as deliberate about it, but they haven't they haven't necessarily hidden the information either. Um, they their last uh, public report uh, of it came a few weeks ago, and they at that point had reported 14 positive cases, and only one of those was still in quarantine at that time. Um, so we'll see uh, we'll see where they stand overall, but uh, for the most part, it has been a, a fairly smooth process. Uh, getting players on campus and getting workouts going. Well, uh, they're going to be in everybody's preseason top 25 just because they have so many weapons back. Let's start with offense. Chuba is obviously the guy who gets all the, the the attention, and rightfully so, when you rush for over 2,000 yards in a season. But give me give me a thumbnail on the offense as a whole. You know, it, it obviously it starts with Chuba. You've got Tylen Wallace. You guys played the the, uh, the radio clip of uh, of his touchdown at Iowa State, which was a, a huge play in a in a 
a swing moment of their season last year. Uh, he's a Bolitnikov Award type guy out there. Uh, you know, had he not been injured uh, at the end of October last season, probably would have had a chance to be a finalist again for the Blitnikoff. Uh, but they're, they're deep at receiver. Dylan Stoner stepped up toward the end of the year after Wallace got hurt and became uh, a, a real go-to guy out there. Uh, now he moves back into the slot where he's most comfortable and, uh, and is a, uh, a really dangerous weapon. And then they've got other guys that uh, they haven't had a chance to, to really get the ball to a whole lot. Uh, a guy like Braden Johnson, who had a, an exceptional bowl game. Uh, Landon Wolf, another slot receiver. Jelani Woods, their big tight end at 6'7", 275, who uh, has 23 catches over the last two years since, uh, since uh, moving from quarterback to, to tight end. So he's still raw and has a lot of ability and really soft hands. So they've got, they've got a lot of weapons, uh, not just Chuba and Tylen, who are, uh, who are two guys that are uh, among the best at what they do in all of college football, but they've got guys behind them that can make plays, and they've got a guy in Spencer Sanders, a quarterback, who is coming into his second season as a starter now and, and should be a lot more comfortable and uh, have a lot better uh, handle on, uh, on what he needs to do in the offense and how to take care of the ball better, which that was, that was his big issue was uh, giving the ball away a few too many times there in the middle of the year. Again, visiting with Scott Wright of the Oklahoma. We've got Oklahoma State at number 19 in our preseason top 25. Let's go to defense. 11 guys back that started a year ago, and yet nationally I think they were in the 80s somewhere with total defense. Can this group be better? It'll have to be better if they want to get themselves into a Big 12 championship game, I would think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They made great strides from year one to year two under Jim Doles, their defensive coordinator. And like you said, you got all these starters back now. Uh, you know, there were a lot of questions going into last season, particularly on the defensive line. They answered those questions. All of those guys are back, and uh, and you would assume would be uh, would be improved. Um, you know, you've got guys like Trace Ford, who was a, a true freshman at defensive end last year, who really came on and become became one of their uh, one of their big play guys up in that defensive front. Uh, you've got a, a secondary that uh, that lost one uh, one starter, but uh, but shifted a, a safety over to cornerback to fill that spot. So uh, some moving pieces back there, but guys with a lot of experience on the back end, and that's so important in the Big 12, especially in a year like this, where it looks like quarterback play is going to be back up to what you expect in the Big 12 conference. So uh, that secondary being as strong as it is, Colby Harvell Peel being the guy at safety who was uh, on the Jim Thorpe Award watch preseason watch list, uh, had had uh, five interceptions, 71 tackles, a lot of pass breakups last year. A guy to watch in that secondary because he can uh, he can make plays all over the field. Scott, uh, I, I know the Big 12 as of right now is still trying to hold on to all 12 games. Oregon State's off. The Pac-12 is not going to play non-conference games. Has Oklahoma State tried to replace them on the schedule, to your knowledge? Yeah, they're trying They're trying hard. Now, they're keeping it quiet as to who they're talking to and uh, who might be out there, but uh, a variety of teams uh, that uh, that they could be looking at. Um, you know, BYU was uh, somewhat early on, but now there's been a lot of talks with them in, uh, in Alabama. So um, not exactly sure what direction Oklahoma State might go, uh, but they, they lost the uh, the one Power 5 program off of their non-conference schedule. So you think they might try to get someone with a little, at least a little bit of, uh, of a name brand to come in and fill that spot if they, if they possibly can. All right, handicap the league for us a little bit. I think a lot of people think Oklahoma certainly will get to the championship game in the league. The Cowboys maybe in there with Baylor, maybe in there with Iowa State. How do, how do you see this thing breaking out? You know, I look at uh, I look at Iowa State, Texas, and Oklahoma State as a uh, as a really fun battle for that second spot behind Oklahoma. Um, you know, uh, Oklahoma State might be in the best position of uh, of those because they host both Iowa State and uh, and Texas. That Texas game, uh, which is the Friday after Thanksgiving, could uh, could be a play in game to the Big Twelve title game. Um, and then you know we'll see what happens with Baylor. I think that uh, that. They're going to probably, uh, you know, you're, you're going to go through some changes with uh, with a new coach, but I think that uh, that they're going to be solid again. Um, so it's, I think that second spot is going to be a really fun battle to watch, and and you never know. Oklahoma's got a uh, a quarterback who's never played before, 
uh, which they, they've had they've had first year quarterbacks for a while now, but uh, this time it's a guy who's never played any college football somewhere else. So uh, we'll see what uh, what Spencer Rattler can do at Oklahoma, and um, you know if he can help them stay in that number one spot and keep it locked down. But uh, I, I feel like this is going to be a really fun year for the Big Twelve. Yeah, Scott, we appreciate. it. Thank you so much. Hope you hopefully you're covering games here in a month or so. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Oklahoma State, our team number 19 in our preseason top 25. News out of the Big 12 today. Iowa State has added a football game for the fall. They lost their matchup, their Cyhawk matchup with Iowa, when the Big 10 announced a couple of weeks ago that they were not going to play their non-conference schedule. So Iowa State had an open in their schedule. They went and found Ball State from the MAC, who lost not one but two games because of the Big 10's decision. So Iowa State today secures a game with Ball State. This follows Kansas in the Big 12 adding a game when they lost New Hampshire a few weeks ago when that school and their conference decided not to play football this fall. So you've got two schools in the Big 12 conference adding teams to their schedule. Will it matter? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that any of us know what's going to happen in the next four to five weeks with this virus and what's going to go on. Is it going to keep perking up? Uh, I know the coronavirus task force met today and, and had a press conference in D.C. where they feel like that it's start, they're seeing good signs in the Sun Belt area, the southern states, that there's a drop-off in, in positive cases. So we'll, we'll see what does another month do. But I thought it was interesting, Austin, that Iowa State's adding a game to their schedule here on July 28th. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder when this game's going to be played, too, with the NCAA announcement of the Week 0 that teams can move games to. So I think that's a, a really nice gesture by Matt Campbell and that football staff to, you know, go out and get a team like Ball State out of the MAC. You know, maybe it's just who is available, but I, I appreciate that it was, you know, Ball State that lost a couple games against Big Ten teams. They at least get some of their money. And, yeah, July 28th, it's unheard of to be yeah. adding a game to this schedule this late, but it's almost unheard of to be dealing with a pandemic that's still raging through our country just this, this closely to football season. So it's, drastic it, times, drastic measures and all that, but good for those two schools for working something out. It's scheduled for September 12th. It's scheduled to be the second game of the year for the Cyclones. That day, Ball State was supposed to play Michigan. They had back-to-back Big Ten games with Michigan and Indiana. Well, they lose both of those, so they had two open dates. So they get they replace Michigan with Iowa State. And again, Iowa State uh, right now is supposed to open with South Dakota, and the Missouri Valley is still a go with football. Uh, so Iowa State would open with South Dakota and then go play Ball State the next week. So that's another home game for the Cyclones because it was they were supposed to go to Iowa City to play the Hawkeyes. So they actually pick up another home game. Ohio State has sent out a notification to their fan base saying they will not allow tailgating at their football games this fall, and they're going to cap capacity at 20,000 in Ohio Stadium. It seats about 105, so it's going to be about they're going to cap it at about one fifth capacity of Ohio Stadium. Spread people out. So they have already sent that out. Nebraska has not done that. Uh, we still have not heard from the league about an updated schedule. I really thought early this week we would have it. I'm told that there's another Big Ten call coming up on Thursday that might then after that um, they might reveal the schedule. I'm surprised. I thought by this early this week we would have had that revised schedule from the Big Ten Conference so we would know who the and we believe it's going to be 10 games. We would know who those 10 are going to be, where, what day, what part of the year are those going to be. But still, we sit here late on Tuesday. Nothing out of out of that. Um, everybody's buying time. There's even a, I saw I read a, another piece today, Austin, that said some school presidents are wanting to let the NFL start so that the NFL is underway before college football gets going. But that kind of goes upstream against what we've seen the Big 12 do with Kansas and Oklahoma pushing games back into August. So I don't know if that's going to hold water, but maybe the Big 10 goes, yeah, that might make sense to start after the NFL does, and maybe we go week three of September. It's all still so much up in the air. That's just the thing, so up in the air. And when the Big Ten announced its 10-game conference schedule to be played over 13 weeks, I think we were all pretty on board with that because it gave the teams flexibility. If you push it back to the third week in September, that's losing two or three weeks that you could potentially get games in, get more games played. 
which of course there's risk in that, but it's also, you know, they're, they're there to play football. You have the games on the schedule. If you can get them in, you might as well. I can understand wanting to follow the NFL's lead to give them a shot at it first, just because they're the same sport. You can see how, you know, the, parent league handles it before the lower levels play it but I still think you go ahead with college football as planned one other thing though is you mentioned the release of the Big Ten schedule how we don't have it yet I wonder if they were waiting to see if the NCAA would make an announcement like it did today if the Big Ten didn't want to break the oh we're moving games to week zero first so maybe now that this is out we'll get some resolution on that later this week could yeah it it could Um, I just I get the feeling that these the the administrators the people that are making this call and i'm glad it's them not me i don't want any part of having to make this decision are just hoping to get some positive news whether it be in fact the infection rate is going down whether there's a vaccine getting even closer i mean i think we talked about it yesterday that the first phase three trial in the united states began yesterday but that takes a two-dose thing, and it takes at least a month for that to get going, and then it's going to have to get approved as long as they get positive results. Uh, so we're still several months away from that. It's just, it's just an awful situation for those of us who love sports but also realize you got to be smart about it. You can't just go put a bunch of young people's health at risk by rolling the dice with this thing. And so it's just there's so many things up in the air about this, and it's just a, such a difficult thing to uh, try to navigate. Callers and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Only Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, tomorrow night here on the program, another edition of the Husker Huddle with Jeremiah Searles. He's going to sit down with Tommy Armstrong, the former Husker quarterback. Hear what Tommy's up to and get the latest on him. We'll also continue our look at the teams in the uh, Big Ten as we go around the Big Ten. We started last night with Purdue. We'll go to Illinois tomorrow to see what's going on with the Fighting Illini, another team that we know will be on Nebraska's schedule because they're a member of the Big Ten West. While that, we'll also continue our preseason top 25 countdown. Then get your thoughts. Are you okay with the pokes at 19? Were you on board with that one? Yeah, I think I think it's fair. He mentioned all the, the upheaval. But, you know, I think good talent can rise above it. Mike Gundy's a good coach. As long as he can win back the majority of that locker room, I think they've got a really good shot to make some noise. Probably not past Oklahoma, but I, I'm with Scott. I think they can challenge for that second spot in the in the Big 12. I do, too. They've had a, they, like most everybody in that league, has had a tough time with Oklahoma. Good show tonight. Thanks again to Scott Wright from the Oklahoman for being a part of this hour here on Sports Island.